You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, folks. Welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast mwr.com is our website. Matt, we um the regular season's basically done. There's still one more straggler of a game next week, Army Air Force, but we made it with um probably fewer cancellations I thought this season, right? Yeah, I mean, we you know one or two on average per week, but on the whole, um yeah, I, th- I think it it was definitely strange kind of going from week to week and trying to figure things out as it related to how to talk about teams from week to week, just because, you know, the, the, the college coaches are, are never exactly forthcoming, even under normal circumstances. <laughs> and then having to deal with like the, the extra layer of how the pandemic has influenced teams, both, you know, with the games that are played and without is uh, definitely been a challenge. I would say. And as did you, did you already see a pac 12 game next week that was scheduled today? Cause they have like the crossover week. It's mm-hmm. already been canceled. And yeah, it was announced uh, Cal in Arizona, right? Uh, um, I think that's what it was at. probably had in front of me here. Probably, probably because I'm assuming Arizona fired uh, Kevin Sumlin, who got yeah, who got beat seventy to seven against Arizona State. Well, I thought it was that both of the teams just didn't have the minimum number of oh, players at this point. That's the case, but I think Arizona's fine with it too. You know what I mean? Yeah, because that too. <laughs> he gets hammered. Be like, but, you know what? Let's just focus on on early signing day. Yeah, <laughs> let's focus on playing games the next fall or something. Their new coach. I just saw a score Friday. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's getting yeah. run out of town. And we'll see what what Mount West coach gets linked to that job, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably more than one. <laughs> yeah, there'll, there'll be there'll be some interesting stuff here. But as for what we're gonna get to now, um, we didn't get to this last podcast because it broke Friday morning, like probably hours before Utah State was gonna travel to Colorado State. That game did not happen, and for once, Matt, all year, not COVID related, but probably, no. I won't. No, it's nothing. It's not worse, but it's um pretty um. Well, how would you describe the uh, situation besides not good? <laughs> like it was, it's pretty up there of a potential discrimination at some of the highest level. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna crib a little bit from Alex Vehar, the Salt Lake Tribune, where. He basically said it was it was over concerns that the president of Utah State, Noel Crockett, 
had said something about Frank Miley's cultural and religious background Mm -hmm. as it regarded his candidacy for the head coaching position that was ultimately filled by Blake Anderson, the the former Arkansas State head coach, now officially uh, the Utah State head coach, to be announced tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he has some busy... His coaches show. He has a press conference and I think a fan Q and A of some sort. So, so Miley himself apparently said he wasn't aware of the video conference. It wasn't recorded. We don't have conveniently was that, not recorded. Come on, we don't have that many details. But the, the way that Miley's statement today made it seem was that it was rooted particularly in his religion, um, which, if I'm not mistaken, he's part of the. Church of Latter-day Saints. Yes, and Polynesian. They say both of those. And, yeah, and in Pacific case. Islander as well. Which is like, come on. Yeah, that's... I mean, without knowing the details, it's it's still very surprising. Especially with, you know, what, where you, when you consider where you are, Utah, you kind of have to read the room because it's yeah. not just... it's. I mean, it's not just a, a statement about Miley himself. You know, there are plenty of players, I'm sure, yes. on the roster that are that are a reflection of, of both Miley and of Gary Anderson, who, you know, spearheaded the last couple of recruiting classes, and then of the community at large. Yeah, because, like, Utah has a decent size of Polynesian community. Like, you, I was watching Utah, Colorado, and Joel Clout was kind of making a a joke. Uh, you could, maybe people could take it sensitive or not. It's like... These guys have all the same names. It's hard. It's like it because it's like uh, Neil Pau. That's an easy name to say, or different names where it's like it's like there's ten vowels. I'm like, how do I pronounce this name? We have struggle with this with Hawaiian names or guys on Utah State. Like it's just that there's a lot. There's a decent sized group. It's like it's just the same guys. It's like I can never pronounce their names because they're all from the. It was kind of a half kidding thing. It's like it's tough to know that nail the names down. It's like it's like it's the same Polynesian guy that comes in, but here in Utah there's a ton, and that started years ago. Like. When Lavelle Edwards at BYU found out, hey, there's good players out in Hawaii. I was bringing one over. And there's a lot of where I live, south of Salt Lake in the area, a decent amount, like the high school level. But like, here's the weird thing. I was looking at uh, Cockett there. She's been around since 2017. You know Frank Maley was the interim coach in 2018? Yeah, for the New Mexico Bowl. Yeah, and so when Matt Wells left. So I don't know what was said because she made a statement basically kind of saying she feels – doesn't – she felt her word, whatever she said was misconstrued, which again, mm-hmm. we don't know what she said or how she said it. But like the thing about Joel Clout, like I mentioned, I bring that because what he said is like, well, it's all, it's all the same names. It's hard. It's like you, it's people from that culture could say, Hey, come on, get our names right. Don't worry about it, which he does a good job. But to them, it's like, well, learn to say our names. Who cares if it sounds similar? It's like the, uh, um, Sewell brothers, like the, the one at University of Utah the other day had a great game. Yeah. You have, uh, what the guy at Oregon, the one at Nevada, I think. I think it was one of yeah. BYU or they were going to transfer to BYU or something. So it's like, yeah, that's brothers and that happens and stuff. Like, I could see what he said. Like, people, okay, hey, come on. Just, um, there's no need to bring it up. I felt a little like, ooh, you really bring that up, Joel, during that game? Because mm-hmm. I could see how it could be like a little bit odd. So I don't know what her words said, but she made it seem like, like I mentioned before, like it's uh, maybe misrepresentative, but enough players on the team. Because, like, yeah, you have the Polynesian community in the area. A lot of them are the same, not as much as BYU, clearly, but still a good amount. So mm-hmm. I don't know why it would be if it what she said was a hindrance against him to be that coach because enough enough of the players liked him they, they played a bit better when he was the when he was the interim coach like they had the win and they showed a little bit more signs of life but also a lot of guys go to the portal or opt out both one or the other but as for saying how it could be a hindrance to be, have him be a head coach 
it doesn't make sense because you're going to have more players that are in common with either or Polynesian or member of the Church of the LDS Church than not. You know what I mean? Like one or the other. It's going to be a huge crossover. Some are both. Some are one. Some are the other. But not like what BYU is where it's 85, 90. I'm just kind of spitballing, but majority of the roster because mm-hmm. of what the school intelligence of like a some religious leader sign off so you're going to school whether you're of that faith or not. So as for him saying why, it's like it doesn't make sense because there's a big community in the area. Pacific Northwest has a lot. Southern California, again, out in Hawaii. Like, you could say, like, here's the thing. If you think that's the case, like, don't say it out loud because we don't know what she said. But mm-hmm. you can interview him and say, well, you're not the guy. You're not the guy. And there there could be reasons why he's not the guy just for on the field coaching. You know what I mean? But you would think he would have been up there high enough just because he was interim last time and hung around with um, Gary Anderson. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. What, what do you make of this? A, like play? Do you think anything on the level of players didn't want to play because season, how it's going, just sucks. Game's canceled. They're not very good. They just want to go home. Do you think that had anything to do with it for them not wanting to play Friday? Or excuse me, Saturday and voting Friday? No. Because in in the report that first came out, and I believe it was Brett McMurphy of of Stadium who had the initial report on it. They had the letter they sent. Yeah, and they had a survey that I think the players conducted among themselves. And it was basically a two-third, one-third split among players who were willing to play and and players who – versus players who didn't want to play. It was uh, the two-thirds was those who didn't want to. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it – it speaks to something larger where I think if you're not in the room, if you weren't in that conversation, you know, until those details come to light, we can't really make a judgment one way or the other. But I can, but, I can see I them being tired not, with the I season. Would not, I mean, yeah, but I wouldn't say that that was the primary. No, 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 I, no, no, not at all. Because I don't, th- I mean, let's put it this way. And I've said this on Twitter before. I don't think players would have, been as vehement with their hashtags in like July and August Mm -hmm. just to, just to quit at the end. And I think that that's a reflection, you know, that's the same thing you could say about, you know, you know, you know, the the air force getting canceled against army and then getting rescheduled later on and Mm -hmm. and Jeff Munkin coming out and said what he said, or, you know, people insisting that Boise state was trying to duck San Jose state or something like that. Like, and you know, yeah. And you know, yeah, it's just, there are just there are bigger things at play that I think it just as as not only as outside observers but as people who just I haven't played football since high school freshman year mm-hmm. or anything like that like so like I don't have that mentality personally there you know there are just certain things in that decision that I will probably never fully grasp like I said you, it's one of those things where you have to be in there and you have to have that visceral reaction to whatever was said to to make that kind of decision not to play. Yeah, like it had to be like when I say them maybe not want to play, maybe it could be guys who are on the fence and they're like, well we'll go with you. Like I'm not saying their sole choice was oh it's the last game. Cause they could have beat Colorado State. Like that was a possible potential win. Like Colorado State mm-hmm. isn't amazing. So like there's guys who want to play who never who will never play football again. And that was the last chance. And I just thought maybe like well if they're defense well I'll go with my teammates. And most of my teammates don't want to do this. I'm not of the religion or it didn't offend me or I'm not of the race or say they didn't offend me. It's like they'll go with their teammates because that's kind of what you probably should do. If most of your teammates are saying, Hey, we should make a stand here. But I like, I have no clue what would have been said, but it's just a, like, imagine like, think about it real quick in the big picture. Everyone like the Polynesian population is not huge in the United States. 
and neither is the um, LDS Church. It's not huge population. United. Like maybe not even half a percent of the people. Like very, very, like obviously not very many people. Mm-hmm. So imagine if it was said something about a black coach or somebody who was a Jewish coach or a Catholic coach. Like that would probably this was a big deal as it was, it was on the front page of any web national website you go to. Like the main story of the top five, it would have been ten times more if it said um, if something was said of that same similar allegation at a some other school where. We're not going to have a black head coach in SEC. Because remember, Sylvester Crew was the first black coach there in Mississippi, uh, was Mississippi State in yes. SEC. So, like, what if something said down there? Like, well, we don't want him because he's black. It's like, that would have been 100 times worse. But regardless, it's still very bad. Yeah. Like, and I, it's, I always say this, too. It's like, if you're offended by it, I don't, you're offended by it, I don't care. It's like, if you think it's I said something that was in poor taste, that's on me who said it, not you. It's like, if you feel bad about it, some people say, oh, you're too sensitive or whatnot. But typically, it's like, no, I probably screwed up and said some inappropriate joke. Like the Joel Klatt thing where he's kind of half kidding about the tough names or hard to pronounce. He, I guarantee he had no ill will or intention against it, but it could be construed as a way where it's not in good taste. I mean, let's let's put it this way. Being unthinking is easy. Mm-hmm. Being mindful is hard. It's hard work. And it, it takes the same kind of preparation and, and mental kind of agility that, you know, again, I, I don't, I'm not in a film room or anything like that, but it takes a certain kind of dedication that is not... I would imagine totally dissimilar from like studying game film and, and putting in the time to prepare. It's like, it's, but it's something that it's, it's necessary work in the same way that if, if, if a team wants to go out there on a Friday or a Saturday night and they want to put forth their best effort and they want to win a game, it takes that level of preparation. And so, you know, maybe it was just something along those lines where, you know, the university president had a, a lapse in that mindfulness and you know maybe the, the i would imagine that the independent investigation would reveal something like that mm-hmm. but yeah it's just one of those things where you know i think now more than ever we whether you like it or not it's i think we would all be better served by being more cognizant of those kinds of things here's where the bigger issue comes into play like frank Maley, like what he said let me pull it up right here exactly he kind of agrees like as a college football um as called as all college football fans like to uh know by now you guys see university final game wait cancel that's not what i wanted as disheartened as i am to learn so i don't know if you heard these firsthand that's the thing he goes mm-hmm. so there could be a bunch of playing telephone a little bit here that might make things possibly i don't know but it's like here here's say i heard it from you from your sister from your cousin's brother your mom mom's dog whatever the message changes down the road so he's like he feels bad about what happened but here's the thing noel cockett She's no stranger to to being in the state of Utah or Utah State. In the 1990s, she was a um, she joined the faculty of Utah State University in 1990 as a researcher and assistant professor. Mm-hmm. And so, like, so it's not like some new person from out of town who's never been there before. Yeah. She's been around the area for a while, um, like because she was the um, at Utah State the dean of College of Agriculture for a decade, 02 to 13. So this is not just some random person who came in been here for two years from some far flung part of the country, nowhere near Utah or familiar with the either religion or race that that's alleged of, of whatever she said was inappropriate or mm-hmm. insensitive. So that's a thing too, to consider as well. She's no dummy. She's been here for a while. And so yeah. that's what makes it even more mind boggling about what was said. And if this is true. Yeah. And you know, we've already had people in our mentions when we would link to the article or, or link to Miley's statement who, you know, apparently they know Cockett personally or, yeah, there's or have one person, known yeah. Cockett personally. And so 
you know, with that in mind, I think it's, I mean, I I guess I can understand that impulse to, you know, come to someone's defense. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. But I would also say that, you know, like I said, when you weren't in the room, yeah, I mean, you can know someone, but you can't, I mean, if, unless you were in that room, in that conversation, you don't know what can happen or what a person is capable of saying. I've said stupid whether, whether they meant it or not. Yeah, I've said dumb stuff around just around my house. Like, well, I hope nobody else is here. It's sad because being stupid and not thinking. Like, yeah. that happens. Doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It's like, oh, I need to think about it. Wife's like, hey, what are you saying? I'm like, oh, what do you mean? Like, oh, shoot, that was, that was bad, not good. So this is all we're going to wrap up here. We don't know what happened, what's said, but you said mentioned they're going to look into it, investigation. And if there's any inkling or any truth to that, He's going to probably shoot the pants off in school, right? Yeah, probably. Because who knows how close he's running, but if there's going to be anything, like, it's like this is obviously discrimination if it's true or any, whatever they go forward, that's going to be, might even brought up as a procedural thing. But, like, I could see him going for, like, uh, so what's a five year contract worth of Utah State head football coach? That's probably what he'll potentially try to be if they go that route. But it's just unfortunate. If, was so sad, if something was said about it, it's like, so like here's what here's what caucus. I'll wrap up right here. She says I'm devastated that my comments were interpreted as biased against anyone of religious background, which means I don't think she is of the same religion, which doesn't matter. But it it would be even more weird if she was. Mm-hmm. Um, she goes throughout my professional career, and especially as president of USU, I've welcomed the opportunity to meet directly and often with students about their experiences, regardless of how difficult the conversation might be in the coming days. Remain committed to giving our students a voice, which is good that she's going to go forward and talk about this and who knows what we'll know. Cause we never called the Colorado state stuff in the preseason. We never knew much about what happened with that, whether they're following COVID protocols or the racial allegations as well. Mm-hmm. But um, it just, it's unfortunate, it's a bad situation, bad way to end the season, not fun. And all I can say, well, let's go forward and see what happens, right? Yeah. All right. So we get to some happier stuff like bull stuff, bull games. Yeah, let's do it. You said the DM in our group chat and I'm like, New Mexico Bowl. Okay, Houston. Okay, fine. Hawaii? That was out of nowhere. That completely threw me for a loop. Because I did my projections Sunday, I don't remember when, mid-morning, afternoon. I've been crazy weekend, as you know. Um, but I did not have Hawaii going to bowl game. I honestly had Fresno and San Diego State ahead of them for a bowl pecking order. Mm-hmm. But also means Mount West is getting four bowl games. Because the league also said San Jose State and Boise are going to a bowl game, and Nevada's already committed to the next. Um, no, what? Um, what bowl with the Mexican? Famous Idaho oh, Potato Bowl. Back to back years, Potato Bowl. I bet they love that, right? <laughs> I mean, it's worse than sitting home. It is Idaho, though. Cold. Uh, I guess so. You're that's, right. that's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, yeah, it is kind of a surprise because when you when you look at the conference standings now that everything's more or less said and done. It, it, you know, San Diego State in particular, I think, is going to be the one team that's maybe more in danger of being left out in the cold than anyone because they they did finish the year four and two in conference play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Hawaii and Fresno State were both neck and neck at 500. Air Force was right there with them, at, you know, and they were only two and two. But mm-hmm. it is kind of a surprise that Hawaii would make themselves available like that or that the New Mexico Bowl, which, you know, as – I don't remember if we brought this up on the podcast before, has been relocated from Albuquerque to Frisco, Texas this year. Um, sure, why not? <laughs> just kind of strange overall. I mean, I mean, I like the uh, the Mountain West versus American vibe, but don't get me wrong. 
But it, it was just kind of like a, a pleasant surprise, especially for those of us who are accustomed to seeing them at home in the in the Hawaii Bowl. You know, that bowl has been canceled this year. So it'll be nice to have at least a little bit of familiarity in the holidays. There, no, definitely. Um, hold on. I, I pull, I'm pulling up right now Todd Graham's contract. Because I did have a uh, call before a podcast with the uh, play-by-play voice Bobby Curran of Hawaii. Chat with me. He's like, what the heck happened? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it's like maybe we... Our, my speculation was Fresno and San Diego State maybe declined to bowl game, but here's the thing: he does get bonuses. He's bowl eligible, ten grand, um, twenty um, twenty thousand points, twenty thousand not points dollars if he participates in a bowl game. Forty thousand if the team wins a bowl game. So maybe there's an inkling of why he wanted to go to a bowl game to get about seventy thousand dollars, possibly. Could be. Could be. Just saying, it's good publicity. First year coach, it looks good. Like, hey, year one coach will go to a bowl game. Um, it's also freaking expensive because Bobby also mentioned to me like they've been not cutting corners but like keeping costs down like every university has in Honolulu to Dallas and bus into Frisco. That ain't cheap. That's true. And so but, you know, any yeah. anytime you get the chance to beat up on an AAC team, I feel like you have to take Ooh, it. Yeah, exactly. So that's the game. The other game is Tulane, right? Another AAC team. Mm-hmm. What's Tulane's record? Are they any good this year? I like their logo. Tulane's a Tulane's a middle of the pack team. They're uh, they're six and five overall, three and five in conference play. So that, that they finished uh, in a tie with East Carolina and ahead Ooh. of Temple and South Florida. But who, Houston's only three and four because like, I remember the first five weeks every game was canceled. Yeah, so <laughs> I mean they they, they had uh, you know sort of a down year as far as conference play is concerned, but six and five still kind of puts them in the middle of their most successful stretch since. I don't know, the mid to late 90s. <laughs> that one year when they went 12 and 0. Sean King, right? That was yeah. like 98 with um oh who's their coach? I know it. Was it uh, was it Gus Malzahn their head coach? No. Oh, now I'm going to look it up. Um Isn't it like Terry Bowden or something. Oh, yeah, 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 Bowden, yeah, Bowden. Yes, yes, correct. Gus Malzahn but, just got fired. But today. it's also worth keeping in mind that they've got a very high-scoring offense that's kept them in a lot of games this year. So it should be it should be a fun high-scoring game between both of those teams. You know, it also means more Calvin Turner. That's true. Well, but not in that game. Oh, you sorry. Carson, Carson, sorry. Carson Strong, though. Oh, you, oh yeah. You mentioned. Sorry, you mentioned. Uh, you mentioned American teams. Like, let's go back and forth. Yeah, Carson Strong, Romeo Dubs. Um, it'll be good. Yeah, apologies, but forget this. Frisco, Texas. What, what's it? What do we call it? The Mexico Bowl at Frisco. <laughs> yeah, we can go with that. Let's go with that. I, I just got the, because the Frisco Bowl already exists. Yeah, I just got a little uh, confused there, but they'll be fun. Yeah, if we could beat up on an American team, that's that's perfectly fine. I'm good at that. So these bowl games, just so when they take place, I'm pulling up here. Last year, the Potato Bowl is like in January. Not the case this year. It is December 22nd. So it's three days after the Mountain West title game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the uh, New Mexico Bowl in Frisco. The 24th Christmas Eve. Not an evening Christmas Eve. So just avoid your friends and family in the afternoon, right? One thirty kick. Yeah. That's, that, yeah. Or Mountain yeah, you'll, I'm sure you'll you'll find some some uh, excuse to, to duck out and just watch a game for a few hours. So where does the rest of Mountain West go? Because the Arizona Bowl gets prob- is likely going to take the winner. And I'm crossing my fingers it could be Buffalo because that would be awesome somehow. Yeah, the rumor I've been hearing, and I don't think it's been 100% confirmed, but they want to pair up the Mountain West champion and the MAC champion in Tucson. Heck yeah. On CBS, remember, it got bumped up too. Regular CBS. Yeah, so you're looking at either Buffalo or Ball State. And Ball State's pretty good in its own right, but Buffalo would definitely be a very good challenge for whomever of San Jose State and, and Boise State ends up there. And Jared Patterson, and then, man. That's true. Where's the other and bowl then, game? Any idea? Any inkling? I haven't heard. I've been a bit busy. Haven't seen anything about the fourth bowl spot. 
I have not heard or seen anything in that regard, which makes me think that there's a bigger shuffling that's about to undergo, you know, some some changes from the, uh, you know, the the original alignments. And I think that's for a number of reasons. You know, you look in, in the one instance where, you know, the AAC basically has their entire bowl slate lined up, right? Yeah. And then in another corners, you know, you look out at the ACC, they've already had three, mm-hmm. I think, Three bowl eligible teams, you know, Pittsburgh, Boston College, and Virginia, I all, believe. Yes, that's correct. I've all said um, no. Thanks, but no thanks. All of it's yeah. So they're they're backing out. And you know, so they might be, you know, moving some teams around. And even though there have been some bowls that have been canceled basically all across the landscape. Ten at the moment, yes. You know, it wouldn't be surprising if San Diego State or Fresno State or both ended up finding their way to another bowl game anyway. You think they could be get in there, maybe? I mean, it, it just kind of seems like at this point it's going to be somewhere we don't expect if it's anywhere. Could we get the, let's say the loser, because I'm looking right now, the Outback Bowl, Gator Bowl has um, at-large, the Birmingham Bowl has not large Could we get... Um, SEC versus um, say loser in that um, January second game. That'd be nice, right? ABC it kickoff. There's a lot of ACC could be an option. Um, arm, no Armed Forces Bowl change. They are now a Pac-12 SEC. There's a bunch of change. Like Music City Bowl is not large. It could be. They, is the Duke Mayo's Bowl? Is that still a thing? Is that going on this year? Uh, yes, That's that a, is uh, ACC, ACC versus Big Ten. It says at large here, but whatever that means. I'm on CBS, but there are options here. I I don't know. Um. I'm betting they could take an ACC spot. Like mm-hmm. I could see them going to the Cheez Bowl because that's been a Mountain West time before, like as a backup. So maybe they go play a Big Twelve team, like play TCU or something. I don't know, but um, that's all speculation on our part. But so you th- you do you think there could be another Fred Snow and maybe San Diego State could sneak in because enough teams say no because they don't want to do it. Could be, yeah. I so, mean, it, obviously, I think there's going to be a lot to be figured out in the week to come, just because there's a relatively short turnaround between a lot of these games. So we'll know sooner rather than later, I would say. So real quick, what makes the Texas or the, whatever, New Mexico, Texas, Frisco bowl, want Hawaii over the other teams. That's the only thing I'm, I'm wondering about. You know what I mean? Like, like the, of those teams, like who's the most out of those three teams, who do you think would be the most desirable for any bowl game? Is it Hawaii? He's still, would, they, would you still put them at the top? I don't know. I mean, some of it, I mean, I would say some of it has to do with the fact that they don't necessarily want to put the same team there twice in a row. That, hey, that argument bowl. is undercut by Nevada going yeah. to the Potato Bowl for the second straight year because uh, the Aztecs were in the New Mexico Bowl last year mm-hmm. when they blew out Central Michigan. So I'm not totally sure. And they played Houston, was a couple years ago in Hawaii? Or was that Fresno? That was Fresno State. Okay. Oh, you see, they beat up on Cincinnati. They got, they, that's they right. got Houston in the Las Vegas. Oh, okay, that's right. Uh, I think it was like five or six years ago. Yeah, all of her game. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's I, I, my thought. I'm thinking, like, well, let's see. But uh, we'll move on before we just have and haw about all this stuff. But mm-hmm. keeping out because it's bowl season. Because remember, this weekend, like, championship weekend would have been December 5th. Yeah. And so the first set of weekends are technically the first go bowl is the 19th. I don't think a Mountain West team is getting there now because we. I don't, has the other side even been mentioned for that game? We know SMU is one of them. I believe Brett McMurphy put it out there that it was SMU on one side, and I think Texas San Antonio is set to be the other one. Oh, there it is right now. Yes, okay. So that's also that's also this Saturday. So number okay. I was just curious. So let's get going. So we get to our first. Uh, is this the game of the week on Friday, or is the snow game the game of the week? But we're still going to start Friday anyways. Multiple games of the week. We'll go with that. <laughs> All right. 
So when I did my recap for the San Jose State-Nevada game, I started with the end of the first half because that's where everything went to – basically went away from Nevada. They mm-hmm. were leading – was it 20-7 to 7 at halftime? Yeah. I didn't catch this game live because I was doing stuff. I watched it early Saturday morning. That's why my stuff came up a touch later. I'm like, I saw the score. I didn't see the outcome. I tried to stay away from that because our DMs. I'm like, all right, muting that. We're dealing with stuff at home. I'll watch it later. I'm working. I see, I do see after. I'm like, oh boy, this is not looking good. Well, when I watch the game, you see Brandon Talton miss a 25 yard field goal. How does he miss a 25 yard field goal, Matt? 25 yards. That was surprising. That, because that, I don't know if that would have changed the game, but that would have made it to what, 20 to uh, it would have been it would have made it uh, 23 to seven. Yeah, and then things changed. They got the kickoff return for touchdown, which is amazing. And then the next most controversial play was Nevada makes a drive down the field to Otala, which you put in winners and losers, fumbled twice. This is a very controversial fumble. So let's let's talk about that because. You know, at that point, Nevada is they're what they're up six, I believe. They're yes. it's twenty to fourteen. Mm-hmm. They're driving. They're within the five yard line. Doing well. He was down, right? I think so. It's hard to tell. I watched it. I mean, I mean, there was a lot of people in the moment on Twitter who were saying like, "Yo, he was definitely down." And even the commentators they pointed yeah. out were were saying that he was down. I watched it so many times. I know it's like. Your mind goes crazy. I don't know. I, I but, can't yeah, make because that call. At first, it's hard to tell, and I was kind of watching over 4G, and the video was a little bit grainy. So I had to go back and watch it again this morning, and I am more convinced that I feel like that call was blown, which I don't. I don't often. Ha- I don't often come to that conclusion after a while. I I tend to give the, <laughs> the refs maybe a little more slack mm-hmm. than I should in some respects, but I mean, there's no doubt that. Yeah, it, it, momentum is sort of dubious as a as a concept, but there's really not a lot of doubt that 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 killed like whatever you know the vibe down, the, that had going at that point because San Jose State went down, took it 99 yards, and gotcha. had to go ahead score. And that was game over. I mean, that wasn't game over. I think yeah, the fact yeah. that Toa Tawa fumbled later in the fourth quarter yeah. when the game was still within, you know, they still had comeback down ten, yeah. Point. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And, and they, that basically erased their last best chance. But I think everybody kind of forgot about that. But, you know, I, and I, I put it out there on Twitter. as like, you know, at some point, it's not just one blown call. And what, what else did you see that? Like, here's the thing. Let me go back. Well, okay, to but here, okay. What I saw was that they didn't, the, the defense didn't need to let San Jose State go 99 yards for the go ahead touchdown. Oh, that's amazing. Sorry, especially when, yeah. You, yeah, especially when you look at how good they were in the first half. You know, especially in that second quarter, they were suffocating the, the the Spartans. They were basically giving up like fewer than one yard per play in that quarter. And, and they, you know, so it's not just one thing that you can point to and be like, this changed the entire game. It was a number of things. Let's it was see, midfield goal. goal. Two 69-yard you know, runs, one for a touchdown for a running game that hasn't been great. All your Tyler Nevitz 
had, I think, 80% of his yards in the past two games. Mm-hmm. But for the fumble, I think what it was, because it was close, I leaned more toward down than not. But had they called it a touchdown, or or, or was he in the I forget, was he in the end zone, right? It would have been a touchdown. He was right there, essentially. Mm-hmm. Had they called it that, they wouldn't have overturned. I think it was just so close that whatever call they made was going to stay. Because mm-hmm. it has to be inconclusive, and that's the problem yeah. there. And so, but you're right, it's multiple leagues. Mixed field goal, kick return for touchdown, explosive plays, essentially, for San Jose State. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at the amount of big-time plays they had, especially compared to Nevada. Yeah, Toyotao had that 152-yarder. That was half his rushing yards. Nevins had 269-yarders, a 57-yarder to Gaither, a 33 to Brad, Braddock. Trey Walker had a nice 26-yarder. Compare that to Nevada, the longest pass play was 22 to Cole Turner. For, was that the, mm-hmm. I think that was a touchdown pass as well, I believe. Yeah. Like, that's normally Nevada's the one who makes the big plays, like the long distance the plays. But they had done. Yeah, Pete. I mean, it's just at some point, you know, you can't pin it on one thing. Oh, I know. And especially, especially on that long drive, mm-hmm. Nick Starkle was on fire on that drive. That was basically the Nick Starkle show. And at yes. some point, you have to make a stop. Like Don Peterson wasn't completely healthy. He was out there, but I don't. Th- he didn't even register any stats. I don't think mm-hmm. he had a couple assists on like a stuff on a couple rollouts, but he didn't do an amazing job either. The ankle probably still bugged him. But you're right. It's not like. Yeah, that one call, but it, you're right. It's just one thing. Like, this is, um like, San Jose State's defense, I, I kind of mentioned this in the preview. Like, they're going to kind of do what Hawaii did, but they have more talent up front and can probably rush one more guy, which they did. Mm-hmm. And they got to Carson Strong quite a bit. Like, you look at Kate Hall, two and a half sacks, five tackles. They had um, five tackles overall, five TFLs, four sacks. They got to the quarterback. Nevada only had one sack. They did have a couple TFLs, but like they were getting pressure with four guys getting to him, and Carson Strong was still efficient, 33 or 48, but only 260 yards and nothing downfield. Yeah. And also, San Jose State, there's one play, like, I forget when it was first half. Nick Starkle had a guy wide open, like would have been a clear touchdown, overthrew a guy. So mm-hmm. like that that touchdown counted, this game would have been a blowout, possibly. Like there's a nobody near him down the middle of the field. I don't remember who's throwing to, but it was just overthrown. No, no Nevada defender near him. Two guys kind of just like he split the seam, and he'd have been gone for like a huge touchdown. It was over. Yeah, I think it was. Ga- I think it was Bailey Gator. Probably if across the middle, game. but yeah, it's something wide open. So it's like San Jose State had a couple plays here or there where had they made their plays, it could have been a bigger defeat. Mm-hmm. So um, anything else to add? This game it was a pretty good game. Like the comeback was pretty uh, tenseful, but the second half for Nevada, like their offense just couldn't do anything. Outside of like the one drive they had, they they had the fumble. That drive was great. Five place punt, six place punt, fumble on two plays, turnover on downs where they only went twenty yards in seven plays. Like fourth and twenty four, what do you do? You know what I mean? That drive right there when it's third and ten. I mean, sorry, down ten, and they get um they get sacked and get pushed back, get pushed back, and then you're never gonna complete a fourth and twenty four. I'm out. I'm sorry, there's no play for that. Not unless you're like the Philadelphia Eagles. Even then, it's that tough. So. Any final words for the? Can we talk about? Can we talk about Kate Hall for a moment? That he's amazing. Is he your defensive player of the year? He's. I got to think about that. And there's some good guys, but there's there. no doubt he's a part of that conversation, and a lot of that has to do with how he he made plays when the chips were down late. Mm-hmm. And you know, I can't remember if I mentioned it specifically in my preview or in that or, or in the podcast somewhere. <laughs> but you know, his matchup with with Jacob Gardner 
or whomever was defending uh, whichever side of the ball he was on more often was going to be kind of the, the matchup of the of the night, I would say. And that really – there was a stretch like late in the game where he ate the tackles alive. Mm-hmm. And that's a credit to him for just kind of taking over for a stretch and doing you know something that he'd been doing pretty much every single week. Oh yeah, he like you put out the uh, Godzilla gif on uh, Twitter during the game. That's a uh, reptar. Oh, sorry, Paul, was that Simpsons thing? No, no, it's Rugrats. Oh, sorry, I don't. I remember watching, but I don't recall. I apologize for missing. No, sorry. I for forgive that. you. But like he was out there, he was just crushing everybody in sight. There was nothing they they could do. But like, yeah, he's really good. And so, what do you think? Like, let's actually let's wrap up on this last thing. So, what happened to Nevada in the second half? Was it just San Jose State? Had the players and they made plays, forced to fu- had forced to fumble, stopped Nevada from throwing downfield, which they didn't do all game. Like, was it just Kate Hall disruption? Everybody else getting around and getting in their face. Yeah, I mean, Nevada just didn't really have that many big plays after halftime because Strong was eleven of eighteen, which is, you know, it's, it's fine, <laughs> maybe not at quite the level that we had been accustomed to week in and week out. But he only went for ninety eight yards in the second half. Yeah, not good. And you know, and. You know, the other thing is, too, like they don't necessarily even have the excuse for penalties either. That was one of those things where Finally. You know, we talked about <laughs> in the past where they, they came into the game as the most penalized team in the league. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, San Jose State had more in this game. They had 11 for 93. And so yeah, it wasn't even that you could point to you know, Nevada and say, oh, well, they had – you know, this backbreaking penalty at this point in the same way that you could have a couple weeks ago against Hawaii. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I think it's just, you know, San Jose State got enough pressure on Strong. You know, they kept the ball out of Romeo Dobbs' hands more often than not. You know, 9 for 75 yards is not necessarily what we came to expect of him. And the fact that he his longest catch was only 19 yards was definitely a win for the Spartans, regardless of whether they had won this game or not. You know, they kind of lived or died off of their ability to make big plays down the field. Boomer bust and a bust. Yeah, and their their longest play in this game through the air was twenty two yards. That's for a team that wants to go downfield. They tried too. It's not like they didn't try on like the Hawaii game. They mm-hmm. just couldn't get like San Jose State secondary is pretty good. Like they have guys who are top five in like pass defense all the year, pass breakup. So yeah, and even you know Cole Turner came down with his weekly fade pass in the, in the end zone. <laughs> exactly. But even then, like he was he was being draped by Trey Jenkins. It wasn't like Jenkins was playing bad coverage. He had mm-hmm. him tight, and and Turner just just kind of boxed him out just enough to to bring it in. It's you know, San Jose State just made more plays. You had a better scheme in the second half that kept Nevada from doing what it wanted to. That's true. So Nevada goes bowling. San Jose State is a uh, air quotes hosting. The Mount was title game at why is it not at Allegiant Stadium? It should be at Allegiant Stadium, stadium but at Sam Boyd. I'm guessing it's probably because the Raiders are playing on Thursday night. Oh, I didn't realize that. Well, okay, that's fine. All right, so next game, snow game. Lots of snow, sideways snow, upside down snow. Boise State seventeen, Wyoming nine. Even though I knew the outcome was no was basically not in doubt when it was ten to three, I still watched every second of this game, Matt. <laughs> At least Wyoming. At least Wyoming covered. Exactly. I am fascinated with all snow games, but there was punt miscues, um, blocked punts, field goals that couldn't get down because of bad snaps and snow and weather, and 
our buddy Jesse was right. Wyoming needs better play calling and a quarterback that can throw. And Gavin Burrup, had, like you mentioned, DMs. Was, well, I was watching it behind, but I still watched the whole thing. He, he does have a, a funky throwing motion. One of eight for 19 yards and a pick. Levi, well, he only he only came in because Levi Williams got hurt. Yeah, three thirty. And came, yeah. apparently came into the game hurt too. Mm. So I guess that it kind of belies the question of like going into the offseason, going in and thinking ahead to twenty twenty one. How big of a problem does Wyoming have on offense? Sean, big because Sean Chambers we know is more of a runner than thrower. Well, I was on the Levi Williams bandwagon saying let him play because the last two games last year when he was throwing the ball reasonably well like he would run for like what 50 60 yards and throw what 200 or something reasonable like that like what basically well more than chambers but like their running game didn't do much and like in this game where weather is an issue where it's slippery it's sleek it's wet it's like run the ball on trey smith and Xavier validate barely combined for 100 yards but their quarterback situation is an issue and they lose uh i believe both of those guys as well i think i know smith is a senior is validate senior as well I believe so. I'm trying. My internet's going slow, and I don't have his. Uh, no, he's a junior, so he could be back if he wants to. But like, they couldn't run the ball. They could not get a first down to save their lives. I think at one point they were one for eleven on third downs. I don't. It was just a game where they were kicking field goals. <laughs> they were two, they ended two. Up two, two of seventeen on third downs. Nine. First and it wasn't. Downs. And it wasn't even that. It was the fact that they were continually putting themselves in really, really <laughs> difficult third down situations. You know, their average third down was third and eight. Let's put it that <laughs> way. We talked about in the preview how bad they are, like at third and four. <laughs> but even but even in the opportunities, limited as they were, when you know they had a chance to to really move the ball in short yardage situations, they were over for two in those situations as well. And when you compare that to what Boise State was able to do when it was third and short, which is essentially just one to four yards to go, the Broncos were five of seven. And you know, it wasn't like Boise State necessarily blew. Wyoming out of the water. It was only an eight point game. And we should we should mention that the Cowboys defense held the Broncos to his to four point two yards per play. So it wasn't like Boise State was lighting the world on fire on offense. No, it was a pump fest. It was just that when it came down to it and they needed to make a play to move the chains, they did it. Wyoming didn't. And you know, one of the things I, I pointed out, I think, in last week's podcast was the fact that they ran, Wyoming did, way too much on first down for my tastes. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like they didn't try to throw a little more often. They just couldn't get it done. They were only three of nine when it came to throwing on first downs. And when you're kind of behind the eight ball more often than you want to be in that point, and you, you know, if you're set up with second and ten and the, the, and the opponent knows that you're probably going to be running to make up some of that ground – that's where you get into a situation where it's kind of like a vicious cycle, I think. And, you know, for a quarterback like Levi Williams, even banged up, to look exactly the same against New Mexico. Worse. This and Boise State is sort of disconcerting just from an outsider's point of view. Well, it is. Like that position for years since Josh Allen was there has it been great. Even when Josh Allen was there his senior year, he wasn't playing all that great. It could have been new talent like everybody argued and said or whatnot, but – he was only completing like 50-something percent of his passes. Mm-hmm. Like, go read our guy Jesse's piece. Like, it's an offensive issue where it's recruiting and play calling. Because that's an issue. Like, they got to have somebody who can throw the ball. And a game like this type of game where you should be able to – I don't know how well they should be able to run the ball better against Boise State. But with the talent of what Trey Smith has done the past couple weeks and what we know Valde has done the past year plus, 
they should have had more success in the ground. They should have leaned on that more. But when you don't throw, they can adjust and just stack it up and like, we'll, we'll force you to throw the ball because we know you can. They went four of 21. Ridiculous. Four of 21. Mm-hmm. Well, and to, more to the point, if you look at what Wyoming did on offense on a per-play basis, I put it out there on Twitter. They averaged two and a half yards per play. I don't think that's very good. The only time in their entire history in the Mountain West that, that Wyoming averaged fewer than that was the time they got blown out by Utah back in 2007, 50 to nothing. Is that the Kyle Woodingham onside kick and it gets the bird from the um, Dave Christensen? You might recall that better than I do. I think that's I was, I was still focused on the whack in those days. I know. Um, but yeah, like, and, and Wyoming didn't even have the excuse of turning the ball over five times like they did in that game in 2007. It was just, it was really oh, hard Joe, to watch. Hold on, it was Joe and, and you have to, And you have to feel because, you know, I, I mentioned this more directly with regards to New Mexico, but when you look at what this team actually accomplished this year, as a Cowboys fan, I, I can empathize if you feel frustrated because you lost three games by one score and you'd be the only team in the conference to do that. Yeah. And a lot of that, I think, just comes back to the fact that the offense was if it wasn't inefficient for just long stretches like it was in the season opener against Nevada, it was just in complete disarray like it was in this game against Boise State. Let me ask you a question. Let's go to Boise State side. Why was George Solani playing this game? That is a very good question. This goes back to me saying it's kind of the same thing last year with uh, why wasn't Hank Bachmore playing with healthy? Why the heck? They knew Friday night they are in the championship game. They wouldn't know the outcome of hosting or not. But you had to have a good feeling they could beat Wyoming without George Lonnie, despite me saying, I still agree, he's arguably the most important offensive player on this team. Three carries, three yards, didn't look good. Van Buren had to define game on touchdown, 79 yards. But like, what's the point if you – maybe he went in fine, he tweaked, tweaked it. But you knew what your position was next week. Mm-hmm. Why – what's the point? I don't get it. I don't know. I mean, he's, he scored a touchdown on a short pass from Hank Bachmeyer. Oh, I missed that. So that's a plus, but couldn't Van Buren have done that? Possibly. Couldn't Khalil Shakir have done that? But Who, by the way, announced he's coming back next year. That's And that's good news for Boise State fans. But come on, just, like they need any more good news. They're doing fine. <laughs> it, was, it was definitely a situation where it was like, especially when he kind of limped off, it was you have to hope that it wasn't in the situation where he ends up missing last year, the last game of the year, the last, you know, the championship game or anything like that. Where somehow they're favored by eight points, which I do not get at all. No. They should not. Do you think they should even be favored? I mean, I guess so, but I think it should be fewer than eight points. Oh, I, I get they want to put money on both sides, but I would have put it like, maybe four in favor of Boise. That would have done some good action either way. Mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll get back in this week. We'll talk about the Mount title game. But um, is one going to survive? There is, um, are they going to keep their staff intact, like offensive coordinator? Is that stuff going to – are they going to stick around? I would not be surprised if they made a change in the, in the coaching staff. I mean, the quarterback production has to be better. I think it's basically what it comes down to. And so, I mean – if, if he's not fired, it's hard to imagine that it's not going to be do or die time for Brent Bygan. Yeah. He is their – he's also the quarterback's coach. OC exactly. can be coach um, sixth year, six consecutive years, or since um, 
I guess the seventh year or something. Sixth or seventh year. Uh, we'll see. All right, next game. What are we going to next? Uh, that would be San Diego State and BYU. Oh, do we have to? Another frustrating game to watch if you're a Mountain West game or Mountain West fan. You know, return the game that freaking interception that changed the game. Yeah, that was they were up. Um, what was it fourteen to seven at that point? Am I correct on that score? Yeah, I believe so. They're up fourteen to seven, San Diego State, nearing the red zone. Touchdown or not touchdown, but touchdown in sight. A bad pass. They got tipped. I believe they got tipped at the line. I don't recall if it was Kyrie Stonga, but somebody tipped the like kind of tipped and got it because the camera angle is weird. It's like oh, like guy's open. Like where'd the ball go? And I'm watching it. And I'm like oh wait, they they showed a oh, interception. BYU linebacker gets the ball, and then it's like the quarterback play wasn't great. The running game wasn't there. It's like I think our buddy Ted said in our message chat DM is like they don't have. They're not a second half team. Like they fall apart. Like look at Nevada. Look at this game. They're versus Colorado. They didn't have a great second half. It's and BYU just did like BYU wasn't on fire and amazing. They did just enough to win and were efficient to score points. Yeah, I mean it. It wasn't. It wasn't because. On a per-play basis, they actually were much improved from the last time we saw them against Colorado State. On the game, they averaged over five yards per play, which, if I remember correctly, was like double what they had against the Rams or something <laughs> like that. And you know, even in that first half, when they were only down by three at halftime, it wasn't like the offense was performing terribly. Mm-hmm. It was just, I think it was just a matter of BYU just maximizing more of its opportunities. Yeah. They had chances to do with Zach Wilson and throwing the ball. I, you know, because other than the interception, it's really hard to say that Jordan Brookshire took them out of the game. You know, in that first half, especially when it was still, you know, mo- you know, was still largely competitive. He was eight of thirteen, didn't have that many yards, but he wasn't like, you know, an active minus or anything like that. And I think he was an effective complement to a running game that, to that point, had been averaging about five yards per carry. So even though it wasn't Greg Bell shouldering most of the load early on. They ended up being Kagan Williams, who saw most of the playing time and, and had more of the big plays, I would say. And he ended up finishing mm-hmm. with with 16 carries, 92 yards in that first touchdown. Yeah, it was it, it still it was missing. Sort of, it was just, yeah, it was just kind of a strange thing where, and especially in the second half, where it wasn't like San Diego State, it wasn't like they weren't moving the ball. You know, they had that killer fumble on their first drive of the third quarter. That, that too, came yeah. after they had gone inside the BYU 10 yard line. That was a killer too. Mm-hmm. It's, and you're right. And then after that, their last three drives were turned over on downs, but they were turned over on downs at the BYU 28, the BYU three, and the BYU 20. Why do so you, Why do you think it was? Th- it was that close to being a much different game in a lot of different in a lot of different junctures. Why do you think they're being so aggressive? Do they not trust their kicker? I think they're what they, they were what what a two touchdown underdog against. 18 points, 18 points. But here's the thing. Here's what I'm getting at. You're down 20 to 14. You have the fumble. They get a field goal. Okay, hold them field goal. Great. You go all the way down the field. You're at the, uh, not the two-yard line, but 20-yard line. Can they not make a 40-something yarder? Like, that would have made a three-point game. Like, who knows? Maybe the rest of the game would have been the same. Touchdown, everything. But, like, why? I, I, I could see the next one being at the one and going for it because why not? You're down two touchdowns. You got to do it. But... The one before, kick a field goal. Take the points. Unless they weren't caught from the kicker. It's, it's not a short kick. That's a 45-yarder because they have the 28-yard line. So it's not close. Maybe they didn't have confidence in their kicker. But 
I don't know. That's like you're right. They were moving the ball to the field. They just and like, and some of the some of the circumstances were just like really bad breaks too. Mm-hmm. Where you know, especially that the, the one where Jordan Brookshire had a clear lane to the end zone. Yeah, boy. It was that one where it was fourth and goal at the one, mm-hmm. and the ice got him. The ice monster. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I, I saw that. I was like, oh man, I can't imagine how Aztec feels, how Aztec fans feel about that. And it was just, it was just one of those games where I, I feel like San Diego State did a lot of things right, and and Zach Wilson didn't necessarily have, you know, like he made plays. He had three hundred and ten yards, and it might seem strange to say that, like, like yeah, I don't know. I just felt like San Diego State wasn't that far away from stealing this game, from winning this game. That's what makes it so frustrating. They only lost by two touchdowns. Like if you look at the number Zach Wilson put up, it was. Efficient, twenty six to thirty five, three touchdowns. Running game was pretty much in check. Lapina Katoa only had that one long forty three yarder. No mm-hmm. touchdowns. He was the only guy who could do anything on the run. I don't know where. Um, did they? I was watching on mute because I was in the hospital. So was Tyler Algier not playing at all for them? Like, did you see what the case was for BYU? I did not see that one way or the other. So that was a big blow for them. But like, Katoa did fine, but no touchdowns. Only one big play. Like Dax Milne is really good, had 106 yards. That's like him and Neil Powell probably did the best against them. Like for each combined, they combined for about 200 yards. Mm-hmm. They had Isaac Reske the two touchdowns. Like they were, it was just an efficient game where had on either side. Like even you mentioned with San Diego State, like Brookshire did fine. Had the the pick was unfortunate, but like 21 to 31, like running game could have been a touch better for my taste. Great the problem is Greg Bell can't lead the team in receiving. I mean, let's put it this way. BYU ran the fewest plays in a game that they've run all season long. Yeah, that was the goal. That's how San Diego State needed to win. Run the ball and keep it away from Zach and Wilson. It, and, it, and it might seem strange, but the fact that they held the Cougars to seven, basically seven and a quarter yards per play is actually kind of a win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because a lot of that, and I mean, a lot of that was concentrated in, in big plays. You know, they had, I think, five chunk plays through the air, four on the ground. But it wasn't mm-hmm. like they were necessarily making it easy for BYU to move the ball down the field at every juncture. No, I running game they, was they not succeeded there. in making BYU one dimensional. And and Zach Wilson, to his credit, made plays when it counted. But it wasn't like BYU blew them out of the water. It was almost like the mirror image of last week's game, if if anybody watched it, when they lost to Coastal Carolina. It was the same kind of similar, thing. yeah. It was just, you know, different kinds of circumstances. I mean, I'm not gonna fault the Aztecs for being aggressive on offense. I feel like you know they saw the calculus. They saw an opportunity to keep the keep that offense off the field, which is what Coastal Carolina mm-hmm. did so successfully the week before. Things just didn't work out the same way. I would just say the two big plays, like the interception when they're driving and moving well, mm-hmm. and then not going for the first field goal. But then again, yeah. I, I could still get it. It's forty five yards. That's not. It's hard to make. So that's like the only two. If I can be critical, those are like I'm not gonna be critical. The interception just happened. Like the defender got a hand up. It, it it's a fortune that happens like that play and then like I said not not trying to fill a goal but then I can understand um, how their kicking situation forty five yarder chilly a little windy here last night that game's I'm just miles from that stadium so it wasn't a bad game it's just he's got to feel for Aztec fans where you were only only two touchdowns but much closer than two touchdowns like you said like they're moving the ball yeah and I mean it was really those last twenty yards that made the difference because BYU. Four for four in the red zone. Mm-hmm. San Diego State was only one for four. That's yeah. Uh, that, that'll kill you every time. So Aztecs are done. 
We will grade their offseason later. Bowl game, TBD. I'm going to lead now. You think maybe? I mean, I, I think if there's enough shuffling, they definitely deserve a spot. I think they could, yeah. Uh, maybe we'll get uh, Lucas Jack- Johnson back for that bowl game. Could be. All right, where are we going next, Matt? Um, I guess we have to talk about this one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> New Mexico 49, Fresno State 39. Lobo up, babies. Lobo wins. What's <laughs> Walk on, very, very strange game though. Walk on, fifth string quarterback in Las Vegas defeat Fresno State. Yeah, and I believe it was uh, Jackson Moore of twenty four seven Sports over there at the Barkboard Bark pointed Bark. out that Fresno State was still without. I think it was nineteen players. Two key offensive linemen, left tackle, left guard were out too. Mm-hmm. And they were also without both of their starting safeties as well. Oh, I didn't realize that. Which, which is not to make it's not to make that many excuses, but it's, it's it's tough. You're sort of you're sort of grading on a curve from the Fresno State perspective. But I mean, there's no doubt that New Mexico stepped up and and made plays when it counted. And so you have to give them credit for that. You know, when you when you drop 49 on a team, regardless of whether they're missing components or not, you kind of have to sit up and take notice of that. What are you doing? Bobby Cole had a big game. Hmm. What, so what was the Brony Rivers? They tried to get him that touchdown or something. They like, did. They put him in this because he he was one record. touchdown away from setting the program record for for touchdowns. And and could, then and then it ended up that they ended up using him more as a decoy and getting that touchdown from Jake Hayner. Mm. And that ended up, I think, being the kind of the the pinnacle of this game for the Bulldogs. So like, what was it mostly like? We got to give credit to New Mexico. We're not going to say, oh, they just won, but they've won two in a row. Their mm-hmm. defense had the most sacks ever of this. Sorry, let me rephrase that. The most sacks in this game eclipsed their season total coming into the game. They had what six sacks had before they had eight in the game. So mm-hmm. that's offensive line issue, but it's also a Rocky Long Danny Gonzalez defensive defensive scheme. With when you have guys like um, who is it? Tavin Combs gets the backfield. It's particularly Cameron Miller, two and a half um, TFLs, two sacks. Like they were getting after the quarterback eight sacks, eleven TFLs. Again, it's offensive line thing, but they were doing like they were having two, like showing only two guys on line scrimmage, and everybody walk up. Like, are they going to really drop nine? No, they're not dropping nine, but you don't know where the other four are coming from. No, and and to his credit, Jake Hanner kept getting up. That last in thing got hit. I thought he was done. That I looked know, so was like, bad. I thought he. I thought that's like, oh man, they blew out his knee or something I know. like that. Awkward tackle in the end zone. That right, I think it was his right knee. He came in the next possession and seemed okay. But I think you know to for, you know to to kind of frame it to to give credit to New Mexico, they forced Fresno State to be one dimensional because on the ground, you know Jordan Mims had an eighty-four yard touchdown, eighty-five yards, <laughs> and that was pre- yeah, that was pretty much it. And Three we saw carries. A bit of, we saw a little bit of Javon Bigelow, and he was you know he was okay. He averaged four you know almost five yards carry, and his longest his, his longest run was only nine yards, but he was fine in that role and and maybe that was just a byproduct of the fact that you know we knew all season long that the secondary was going to have some some misadventures with defending the pass Mm -hmm. and you know Hayner did his best to try to make them pay for it he had 350 yards he had three touchdowns uh and and one interception and so it wasn't like they didn't make plays there it was just at a certain point you know they they found themselves in a situation where they needed to try and pass and catch up. They were able to key on that. They didn't, the Bulldogs didn't have as much success as they needed to. And New Mexico was able to pull away as a result. 
but he had to throw forty three times. That does help either. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, they made they made, they make him one dimensional by far. But can we? Um, has this has Isaiah Chavez got his uh, scholarship yet? He better. I wouldn't be happy. <laughs> but I mean, it was it, what he kind of represents is kind of a larger narrative that I'm probably going to write about either before or after the bowl season ends, which has been kind of the youth movement across the mountain West. And I think that this week he maybe is the best exemplar of that, but he was hardly alone in that regard. You know, Connor Winslow or Connor Kinslow, excuse me, his first career catch was a touchdown. He's a true freshman tight end. Um, you know, Tavian Combs, like you mentioned a minute ago, 12 tackles to lead the team. He's a true freshman. And so, what you're looking at is kind of a a very interesting glimpse at New Mexico's potential future, where obviously, you know, if Tabaka Tuioti is back and he's healthy next year, he's, you know, I would imagine he's probably going to be in competition with Chavez. But there's no doubt that, you know, New Mexico's got some interesting pieces that they've identified at this point that they can say, okay, we've got something here to build around. And that's a credit to, you know, not only to Danny Gonzalez, to Rocky Long, but offensive coordinator Derek Warheim, he, he's definitely taken his lumps with the quarterback shuffle, with the running back shuffle, trying to identify you know, what he wants this offense to look like. But he's got pieces now, and he was putting them in a position to succeed. And Chavez you know, was able to take advantage of his, of his mobility to make the running game look threatening again. You know, he was 14 of 18 through the air, 196 yards in the one touchdown. But he contributed 95 yards on the ground, too. And after mm-hmm. you adjust for sacks, he was over 100 yards. You, know, you got him, you got Cole, Bob you got Cole, Nathan yeah. Jones, Nate Jones, we didn't even mention. Eight carries, two touchdowns. And Bryson Carroll didn't even need to do too much either. And he's usually much better than three for 10. Yeah. So, and, and, and Andrew Erickson only had one catch, but you know, he's another freshman. He was there. I think their Burlesworth trophy is the, the best former walk on. So New Mexico's got an interesting future ahead of them, which is kind of what I expected coming into the year. It's going to be very interesting to see how it all comes together in 2021 and beyond. Do you think they made big enough steps like the past two games for, especially using like, Again, fifth string quarterback, walk on guy, playing high school football last year. Like, do you think these strides are legitimate, or are they just circumstance of um, Fres? Maybe not to go back to Fresno, not having all the players, but is this part circumstance, part talent, or how would you kind of weigh that out? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the the. I mean, maybe that's a, a cop out answer, but I think you do have to keep the circumstances in mind. Where Fresno State wasn't playing at full strength, and that had an influence on this game. I think you know if everybody had been playing on both sides of the ball, it could have been a different story. I'm not going to say that New Mexico wouldn't have won the game. True. But it may have gone the way I think a lot more people anticipated. You know, with Wyoming, you know, we touched, we just talked about their myriad issues, especially on offense uh, a few minutes ago. And that has something to do with it too. So it, it's not like, it's not like you can kind of rise above it and say, okay, they're going to have smooth sailing and they're going to be a bowl eligible team this time next year. But their trajectory does look promising, I think, relative to some of the other teams closer to the bottom of the conference, too, that are probably doing an even harder reset going into 2021. Agree. So bowl game, Fresno, are they going to go to a bowl game? Because you you possibly thinking about that earlier. Your thoughts still the same? Maybe. I mean, like I said, it, <laughs> it really kind of depends on how much room is made for the Mountain West because after – 
you know, New Mexico, Arizona, and, and the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, they don't have any other dedicated tie-ins. You know, the Frisco Bowl, which I think you've mentioned in past projections, was a secondary one. That's already accounted for, mm-hmm. like I said, with SMU and, and UTSA. So it's it's really going to depend on what the national landscape looks like if more teams do decide to back out and things like that. All right, the good answer. That's fine. I expected the same, but I didn't know if your mind may have changed momentarily. All right, final game of the day. 38-21, Hawaii tops UNLV. Holy crap, the Rebels are garbage. Is that safe to say? Can I say that? Am I allowed? To their credit, <laughs> they bright Mr. Brightside coming in. <laughs> they, they, again, so again, this is this is where you have to consider the circumstances. And we talked about it more at length in a couple podcasts ago. This is a very young team. Yeah. It was a team. I mean, it, it's a team that was, you know, shuffle. And, and I think it was Tyler Bischoff who put it mm-hmm. out there that Max Gilliam is the first quarterback, <laughs> what was it, since 1996? Yeah, that to is. start every game for the Rebels. Beyond insane to think about. And and he got pulled, you know, somewhat in the in the middle of the game for a stretch for Doug Brumfield, who was only 5 of 13 before he got hurt. And they had to bring Gilliam back in. And to his credit, Gilliam was the one who led most of the comeback effort. You know, they were down you know, 17, or excuse me, 20, 21 to 7 at halftime, and they were able to pull it within, what, 28, 14, uh, kind of midway through the third quarter before the, the Warriors were able to put a, a kibosh on it. It was, you know, it's, you have to keep it, you have to keep that in mind when you look at this year's team. You know, like, I think everybody expected that there would be some growing pains. I think a lot of Rebels fans maybe didn't expect this. I'm not. A, I'm raising my hand because I'm not a Rebel fan, but I called winless season. Just so you know. I mean, you and me. <laughs> Sorry. Let's, let's, let's I don't want to. I don't want to gloat about that, but we got something right this season. <laughs> but he, but here's the upside. Charles Williams has the upside. Freshman. Do you want to hear Charles Williams quote real quick? This yeah. sounds like he might be coming back. Give us a full off season. Give us a full schedule. I feel like this program is really going to start jumping. I see a really bright future. Coach Arroyo knows what he is doing, and that's and that's mm. the thing, you know. And I, I want to see like something the, better than Ofer. You know, he had the what was it? It was a pitch that ended up being <laughs> a backwards lateral that would have been a fumble if he wasn't, you know, had, very heads up play to just kind of pick it up and throw it away. Is he left handed? You know, I don't know. Because that looked really awkward. And it, I don't want to bash the guy's throwing ability, but there was a situation where, like, the defense was coming, made just chucked it. It didn't look like a smooth throw, but then again, he's a running back. But as a left handed. But, yeah, but he kind of took it in stride and joked on, on Twitter yeah. that it was his first career pass attempt. <laughs> and so, <Yes. laughs> you know, but, you know, he finally stepped up and, and they gave him the ball. They gave him the opportunity to try and exploit a, a defensive front that, you know, as we've talked about. It's, you know, has plenty of work to do on its own in its own right, and he responded with his best game of the year by far: 148 yards, two touchdowns. So, if he comes back, that's going to be a huge boost to this offense. And we know that they have at least you know a couple of keepers around him now, like Kyle Williams, true freshman. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, there's a conversation of him as being the best true freshman receiver anywhere in the country. Ooh. He had his best game of the year too: 17 targets. 10 catches, 144 yards and a touchdown. You know, he's he's going to grow. You know, Giovanni Faulo, uh eight 
eight targets, five catches, 51 yards. He's going to be back. Noah Bean's going to be back. Tyler Collins. Zyle Griffin's going to be back. And they were without Tyler Collins in this game. That's what I mean. Yeah, but he'll be back. Yeah. So he'll be back. And so there's, there's room for them to grow. I think, you know, the bigger, the bigger question of growth is going to be on the defensive side of the ball. Because again, other than Jacoby Winman, they didn't really offer much resistance in this game. Like they had four sacks, but they didn't really do much to stop Hawaii from having its way for pretty much the entirety of the game. Yeah, deep pass, long pass plays, big pass plays. Like the Calvin Turner play ended up being seventy-one yards. Cordero had his own fifty-four yard run. They can't just clone uh, Woodman, which would be nice to help their defense out, but. Mm-hmm. Like you're but right, again, but they, again, even on the defensive side of the ball, like you know, the, both of their starting cornerbacks in this game were freshmen, true freshmen, Noel Williams and uh, Ricky Johnson, true freshmen. Jacoby Winman's a sophomore. Adam Plant, the other defensive end, is also a sophomore. It, and Malachi Salu, I believe, is also a sophomore. So this team is going to have the ability to grow over the next couple of years. And I think, you know, 2022 is probably their window. But, you know, we've said it in past podcasts, like we've seen glimpses of this team being pesky. You know, we saw it against San Jose State. We saw it, you know, again in in this game and maybe not early on, but they fought back when they didn't necessarily have to. And so I think if you're a Rebels fan, yeah, being winless sucks. But... Very much it's, so. It's not it's not the end all be all, and especially in a season as as weird as this one has been. Like I like let's put it this let's put it this way. From my perspective, Marcus Royal's not under any pressure. No. It, you know, he's gonna have time to figure this out. And this was just a very strange season all along. And it was a very demanding one for the Rebels in particular, just because they were breaking in so many new players at once. Is that all it is? Like a bunch of young talent, new coach can't uh get the team together? Yeah, I think so. Do you think if they had a typical offseason, they could have won a couple games? Yeah, I do. Okay. So I think you're... they would have had a chance. I mean, I, like I said, I, I called them to be 0-12. <laughs> Me too. But, you know, th- there was there were certain stretches where it was just frustrating to watch because it seemed like they couldn't do anything right on either side of the ball. But then you see those glimpses. And, that, like, to me, it was that the middle part of the game, you know, the second quarter going into the third quarter where, you know, they, they made it competitive. Yeah. Do you think um, Charles Williams' comments is going to return? Because that, that makes it sound like a guy who wants to be back. I would not be surprised if he feels like he has unfinished business. What's unfinished business? Going 6-6? Six and six? Yeah, why not? I'm just saying, if you're that good of running back and you have NFL talent, you go. That's why I think I guys... Mean, obviously, I'm not going to blame him either way. Yeah. But I feel like you know if, if he sees something there, you know, I think if you're, I think if you're an astute football fan you can see that same thing you can see that this is a young team that's going to have the chance to grow together and maybe he just feels like he can be a leader in that locker room and set an example for that team as it continues to grow you know with or without him in the future i would hope so because like we don't want teams to be this bad like it took san jose state a couple of years we'll see how long it lasts if this is a some people are questioned a flashed plan a fluke year it could be a, a combination of everything that them getting better stuff. There could be a lot of reasons why they're undefeated, but they're talented. Mm-hmm. But we need to give a shout out to Darius Musau, eighteen tackles, Hawaii defender. league leader in tackles now, twelve solo and two 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 and a half TFLs and a sack. So let's just say, hey, defense, I shot not defensive player. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, you know, and Hawaii is kind of the the team that you point to when you think 
you know, a team in transition, you know, they've got a lot of young guys that they're breaking in too. Like, you know, Siobhan Cordero, maybe, I mean, he's not undefeated as a starting quarterback anymore, but, you know, he did what this offense needed him to do more often than not. And I, I know I've said this before that if he, even if he's not the best quarterback in the conference, you know, he was definitely the most important quarterback in the conference for his team. And he was a big reason why they were able to, you know, ultimately pull away in this game. You know, he had 252 yards through the air and then he added another 88 on the ground and two touchdowns. So, you know, he was that dual threat guy that, you know, I don't think we anticipated he would have quite this kind of role. But, you know, when you look in terms of like total offense or whatever, he's like right there at the top of the conference. He's third overall in terms of yards per game behind Jake Hayner and Carson Strong. And so, you know, you, he's kind of halfway between how you would normally judge a quarterback like a Strong or like a Hayner and, you know, someone like a like an Air Force quarterback, you know, where, you know, all they do is run with the with the occasional deep strike. He exists in that kind of middle space. And there's no doubt that I think if he can continue doing that, you know, Hawaii is going to continue to be a contender for at least the next couple of years. And, and Muasau, I believe, is also a sophomore, too. So that's the same kind of thing where, yeah, Hawaii replaced a lot. And maybe they only finished four and four. But like I said earlier, they had a couple one-score games against the teams that finished ahead of them in the standings. So, you know, there's there's room for them to grow, too. And I think UNLV can point to that and be like, you know, that could be us in a year or two if things break our way and we work towards it. That could, that, that could be the case. It. We'll see how they go. Like both teams have stuff to work on and get better. Hawaii is only four and four. I mean, yeah. I mean, let's put it this way: you, like we didn't expect Hawaii to be as good with pass defense as we did. Did we? No, no, I don't think so. I felt where they finished. Like I felt they. If we go by divisions, like if it would have been east of, or not east to west, but Mountain and uh, um, geez, uh, West Division. I'm blanking. We've had no, no division until I'm going to say Pacific. No, that's not right. Mm-hmm. But when we look at divisions itself. Out west, I felt that it would have been. I thought felt San Jose State would have been number one. San Jose State blew us out, but like I felt Hawaii would be like basically just above middle of the pack, which is where they finished. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of thought they'd be a fringe contender, which they did. They beat Nevada. I thought they'd be maybe third in the mix, but like so they were kind of where I thought they would be. So they're not like my expectations from preseason till to reality is pretty much where they end up being. Yeah, and I mean they're going to be losing some pieces going into 2021, but you know some of their youngest contributors were you know some of the big names in this game. Like you mentioned Muasal, I mentioned Cordero, but like you know Cameron Lockridge, for instance, you know he's probably going to step into the role that Cortez Davis vacates. He's only a sophomore; he'll be a junior next year. Mm-hmm. You know Michael Washington, the other cornerback, will be a sophomore. Corey Bethley will be a senior. You know, Isaiah Tufaga came on a little bit later in the year after transferring from Oregon State. He's going to be a junior. So, like I said, this is a team that's going to have a chance to grow together. And it won't be easy, but they'll, they've got talent and they've got a system that seems to work for them. And it seems, you know, when it's on, very hard to defend. And they have the athletes on defense to be able to continue to develop and get better, which... You know, based on how the defense has been, or rather how it was for a couple of years under Nick Rolovich, I think that's a, a very pleasant development if you're a Warriors fan. Definitely. So what? Um, we're wrapping up here. Anything else you need to add about the this game or the Mountain West over the weekend? I think uh, I'm pretty much all set if you are. I think we're good. Um, a couple things we do need to mention, though, going forward. Two games this week, Air Force, Army, 
Did you happen to see what happened Army Navy this weekend? <laughs> I saw it was three nothing at halftime, and that told me everything I needed to know. Ended up being like fifteen to zero. Yeah. So I think Navy, or excuse me, Air Force. Apologies, is going to be in good condition to uh, good position. Air, For- Air Force opened as a pick. Yeah. If, if you live anywhere Take where you can gamble, Josh, I would I would not pick. hesitate to put money on that. Josh, if you're listening, um, I may need to slide into your DMs and, and ask you to put some money down on that for me. Pick them versus Army of the Code Boy. So we have that game this week. We have championship game this week. We're working on chatting with um, somebody talking about, about Arkansas State, Blake Anderson, now Utah State. It, it, signing days this week. I you, you brought up to me. When is signing day? Is that this week? Tuesday? I believe it is on Friday officially. Friday. Um, I guess we'll have something about signing day. Maybe we'll do that the week after. But look for a couple extra podcasts this week. Uh, extra coverage for like the uh, Mountain West title game itself because we want to kind of blow it out for the final championship game this week to get a bit more into it with this game but uh check it out mwr.com if you made it this far go subscribe give us a review tell us we're great if you'd like if we're not great if somebody messes up let us know because we're fine for criticism right matt we'll, we'll take it oh yeah we like to learn so check us out we'll be back uh, sometime later this week to discuss this title game and other topics and we'll see you then